Well, I feel better anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Well, with our little group, I'm a little hesitant whether I was going to continue with what I uh, had planned to say because I wanted to continue where I stopped last time. And um, when we were talking about uh, the human heart, and I shared with you briefly that my life began to change in 1968. Uh, Yes, I had had a salvation experience prior to that. But as we understand, as we get older, maybe a little more mature, um, there's that time when we really give our heart to the Lord and uh, we are determined to make a change and to live for God no matter what. And that happened for me in 1968. But then I mentioned to you that certainly I didn't have the experience or the knowledge of the Holy Spirit that I had now, and uh, but I was very much aware that the Holy Spirit was saying something to me in my heart, in my spirit, and what He was leading me to do was to do a study of the human heart, not from the physical side, but the heart that God deals with and the real person that we are, and that's what the heart is. The heart is the sum total of who we are. It's the sum total of all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, all of our emotions, all of our being. It's our personality. It's who we are in the dark when no one else is around. Um, So there was a number of things that I needed to learn and I needed to be taught. And so I started this journey uh, just writing the things down on my Big Chief tablet, my number two pencil, recording those things, and eventually, after a couple of years, I built that into a message, into uh, a sermon, you might say, because I shared it a time or two, Uh, and what, but then, that was just the beginning, because for the next 50 years of my life, and that's important to remember with what I'm going to share with you tonight, for the next 50 years of my life, uh, a lot of experiences, and a lot of things happen, and when you reflect back over those things, God many times brings back to us where we started in the beginning. And uh, we examine ourselves, we look at ourselves, and we see whether or not we're really growing, developing, maturing, uh, growing in holiness, uh, and as the Bible refers to, using the proper use of the word perfection and things like that. And so through those experiences, 50 years of them, A lot of things have happened in my life. Then I shared with you from Jeremiah 17 and 9, because when I happened upon that verse, we've all experienced that there are verses that touch us, that move us, that get our attention. And Jeremiah 17 and 9 stopped me in my tracks when I read that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. And who can know it? First of all, that's hard to grasp. That's hard to accept. You know, and that's everybody's heart but mine. You know, not me. And to constantly be brought back to that in situation after situation and event in my own life, but also in experiences that I had with other people. Now, uh, I shared with you 
uh, I believe God is doing something about the heart with people who really love Him, who care about His ministry, His work. And I base that upon the fact that I see the evil that is in the heart that Jeremiah mentioned being exposed. And I shared a number of uh, events right here in Lubbock among otherwise honorable people that's just happened in the last 12, 18 months of serious behavior issues and and criminal behavior that for Christians, it just as Paul says, ought not to be mentioned. Then I mentioned a number of major ministries and national ministries and not to uh, in any way be critical or condemning, but somewhere it has to be exposed. We need to know in truth what really is going on. I think we live under a shell sometimes and we're either in denial or we don't know or heads in the sand or nobody brings it up. Sin is just swept under the rug. Uh, very few churches will even mention the word sin. They don't want to talk about it. They just don't want to talk about it. And I think God is perhaps on a little different channel. And He's exposing it for a reason. So that we'll become aware of it. So that He can bring about, in effect, change. Now, those national ministries, I don't need to mention again, uh, or cover them. But just to bring us up to date, if I can get down here to my notes, um, surprisingly, this was not going to be a, a couple of lessons, but uh, there was just so much material. Uh, it is. I want to just mention two more noteworthy inc noteworthy incidents that have happened since the last time we met. To let you know, this goes on every day. So, here's the two I want to mention. One involved a church leader. The other involved a national Christian radio host. The one that involved a church leader was a 51-year-old pastor at Rock Church in Virginia Beach. On um, Monday, November the 1st, see, just a few days ago, he was arrested for solicitation of prostitution of a minor girl. He just preached on Sunday, but on Monday he's arrested. Both he and his wife have been pastors of that church for years. The heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things, and who can know it? Last Tuesday, November the 2nd, well-known Christian radio host, Doc Gallagher, well-known in the Metroplex, he was sentenced to three life terms for bilking elderly church members in the Metroplex area out of $32 million in a Ponzi scheme. He advertised on Christian radio. Whenever you tune in Christian radio, you're probably going to hear something from Doc Gallagher. His tagline was, I see you in church on Sunday. He promoted his book, Jesus Christ, Money Master, 
on many of his Christian broadcasts. Again, are there good churches? Are there good people? Good pastors? You bet. They lay down their life. But we need to be aware of the iniquity, the cesspool of evil among many people we believe to be good, well-meaning people. Their character. Now, personally, Tracy and I, we've not escaped the deceptive devices of many people that we've trusted. And I'm going to share some of those with you tonight. Because our experiences, and this will probably surprise you, our experiences, we've lost about $2 million from people we trusted. That's a lot of money. That's more money than a lot of people make in a lifetime. And this money was either embezzled, it was stolen, or we were fraudulently induced or deceived concerning various investments that were brought to us. Every one of them by Christians that we trusted. And a couple of these were, uh, I call them, suitable for an episode on American Greed. If you've ever watched that. One of these involved a business arrangement, not a ministry investment or ministry. It was a business arrangement with one of the largest television Christian ministries in America. And if I were to mention them, everyone in this room knows exactly who I'm talking about. You're familiar with this ministry. But in the Christian spirit, to save their reputation and not to embarrass them, we settled and we signed a non-disclosure agreement. But how did we get there? Well, it took a lot of pressure legally to get them to the table and to get their attention. And once they knew I wasn't going to back down and that we were going to be represented by one of the most powerful law firms in America, Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Howard, and Feld, let me tell you, they couldn't wait. They put me, sent me first-class tickets, sent me to come to their uh, uh, headquarters. I'm not going to tell you where that is. First class, they put me up in a five-star hotel, and I left the next day with a cashier's check. This was a business investment. This Christian ministry, shortly after our settlement, I don't remember if it was, it was less than six months after their settlement with me, that business defaulted. They put $30 million into this business venture. And a lot of Christians went down with it. Now, did the $30 million come out of their pocket? I don't know. Or out of the ministry? Or a combination of both? I don't know. But it happened. And these are extremely visible people. One Sunday morning while worshiping at Trinity years ago, this couple was sitting by me, or by us. And I remember very distinctly, because we were singing, I can hear the sound of angel wings all around. When this man sitting next to me, whom I didn't know, 
but he was sitting there. He made eye contact with me. And then he said to me, after church, I'd like to meet with you. About what? Well, I have a business venture I think you would really be interested in. Well, I met with him later that week. I mean, I used to be all ears. The opportunity that he talked about concerned an oil royalty investment venture. And we were convinced to invest. But let me say, we found out too late, there were no oil wells. He died in a plane crash, flying drugs out of Mexico. And our investment went up in flames. He left a wife and children at home. And so we chose not to pursue his estate to recover our loss. Tell you about a real estate investment venture. None of these have anything to do with the stock market or, you know, things like that. That, you know, that goes up and down. People, gains and losses. These are business ventures with people that you trust. This business venture, I'd invested hundreds of thousands of dollars with a group of Christians in the Chicago area. They would send me quarterly reports. And I reviewed them. And upon reviewing them, I became concerned. So concerned, I went to my attorney and I said, we need to go to Chicago. And we need to personally interview these guys. We need to look at every property. We need to visit with the principals. And we need to look internally at more documents. So, we did. We spent three days up there, and upon receiving more documents from them in their own writing, I convinced my attorney, I said, this is a scam. Upon returning to Lubbock, I met with the local FBI. I wanted them to investigate it, because too many Christians had their retirement funds at risk. They eventually, surprisingly, investigated these guys. They prosecuted them. They prosecuted them for fraud and misuse of investors' funds. And at trial, an Illinois judge sentenced both of them to federal prison and ordered restitution. I'll briefly mention a respected retired City of Lubbock employee. Not going to tell you his name. In fact, he's passed away in the past 90 days. He attended Trinity. He formed a partnership with a departed long-term Trinity staff member. They met with me. They represented a business venture that they were involved with. The venture involved converting millions of discarded tires to energy by using high heat. Later, I realized they misrepresented the business. They misrepresented the organizational structure of the business. And they misused, they stole hundreds of thousands of dollars 
from us will never be repaid. The principal, not the person who was on staff at Trinity, though he was a central figure in it, he needs to be separated from the employee over here I told you about and the principal of the business. I think he would just had such a friendship, he just went, uh, went along with it. But it doesn't excuse his behavior and his actions. They filed bankruptcy, hoping to avoid litigation. The venture was nothing more than a pig in a poke. We relied on their representation, their due diligence, the city of Lubbock employee, his association with a well-known engineering firm here in town, but we did so and let it relied on their due diligence to our detriment and loss. That's painful. Yeah. I'll mention another. This Christian man attended uh, a few times at my men's ministry that I had for years over at Lake Ridge. And uh, he attended Cowboy Church. He approached me one day on the recommendation of a well-known Christian attorney. I had a long-standing relationship with that attorney. The project involved building an ethanol plant in the Midwest. I studied pages and pages of documents. I saw pictures, geological studies, geological opinions. Eventually, I paid this attorney for my due diligence to go to Kansas City, to go to St. Louis, and to visit these site locations and to verify the suitability of the offering. For the next two years, they only asked for more funding. While the principal fraudulently spent our $500,000 investment. And both he and the lawyer received an ownership interest due to our investment. While Cowboy Christian received a $50,000 commission. That didn't make it go, uh, go over too well with you. And we just didn't have the heart to sue or prosecute due to the effect of our long-term relationship with this Christian attorney. Cowboy Christian, he claimed and he represented association with some of the most uh, biggest people in the world, even with Prince Alawi out of Saudi Arabia and other prominent investors. We had similar experiences with, uh, you know, since Rugger Dykes comes, trust me, I stay away from car dealers. Well, we had an experience with a car dealer in Dallas and in Houston. We had an experience with a former preacher, a graduate of the same school I went to. That's trust. 
that person became a judge in South Texas. These were individuals, through our experiences, who failed to act in good faith. The car dealer we ended up prosecuting. He was found guilty. Restitution was ordered, but it took years and years just to get a little bit back. Because these guys know how to avoid, you know, paying up. The preacher, we had a civil trial. And out of the generosity of, and the kindness of my heart, we settled his debt for about 50 cents on the dollar. And we released, we had his family farm that had been in their family for over a hundred years in Nebraska as collateral. And we could have foreclosed on that in a New York minute. But when you read the Old Testament, you just can't do that. And we released it and gave it back to them. So all of the greedy, deceitful actors that we've interacted with, they convinced us they were honorable, that they were trustworthy, that they were Christians. And there are many trustworthy Christians whose word is their bond. On the other hand, in our experiences, the parties that we trusted, they failed to disclose material facts. Material facts by any Christian standard or any legal standard. They miserably failed to act in good faith. Now, why was that? They ignored the blinding effects and the deception of sin. Money blinds the hearts of individuals and it deceives well-meaning people. Their actions confirmed exactly what Jeremiah had said and what he had written. The heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things, and who can know it? If they had only asked the question, how will this affect me? How will this affect my family? How will this affect my legacy? How will it affect my loved ones? See, they were blinded, and they were blindsided, by the deceitfulness of sin that resides in the heart. And the heart is the sum total of all of our thoughts, actions, behaviors. It's the sum total of who we are. So, I pointed out more and more reasons as to why I've shared this about the heart. Now, I want to give you some biblical background for this. Get down here to it. What is God's will for the human heart? Well, again, I go back to Jeremiah. He mentions two cases of a potter's vessel. And that's in Jeremiah 18, 1-6. The word which came unto Jeremiah saying, Jeremiah, I want you to get up and I want you to go down to the potter's house. And there I'm going to cause you to hear my words. So Jeremiah got up probably the next morning. And he went down to the potter's house. And behold, he saw the potter working a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made out of the clay was marred in the hands of the potter. And so he saw him make yet even another vessel that seemed good unto him to make. Then the word of the Lord came again unto Jeremiah and said, O house of Israel, can I not do the same with you, even as the potter? 
Behold, as the clay is in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This is followed up in the next chapter. Chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, and 10 and 11. Thus saith Jehovah, Jeremiah, I want you to go and buy a potter's earthen bottle. And I want you to take of the elders of the people and the elders of the priest, and I want you to go forth into the valley of the son of Hinnon. Now, why the valley of Hinnon? If you recall, in my message on hell, Hinnon was hell. Hinnon was the dump ground. It's where the trash was burned. It was a waste site. It was a cemetery in times of famine and drought. And it was actually an open crematorium for those who were too poor to be buried. In these two passages, four things. Jeremiah saw that the potter, number one, had a purpose. And that purpose was laid out when Jeremiah had, God had reminded him in Jeremiah 29, 11, and 12 in a passage that became the central passage for Church on the Rock maybe three or four years ago. When thus saith the Lord, I have thoughts and plans for you, thoughts and plans for your welfare, for good, for peace, and not for evil, and to give you hope in your final outcome. What does that teach us? Well, Jeremiah saw that the potter had a purpose, and every good potter has something special in mind before he starts. God's plans are for our welfare. They're for our good. We might defeat him. Well, I sure tried to a number of times, but God's a good potter, and he has a good plan. Then number two, while the potter had this noble purpose, the clay in the potter's hand, what happened? It was marred. What happened? I don't know. It became scratched, dented. It developed some kind of a defect. But that was not because of something lacking in the potter. It was something in the clay. That came about due to something stubborn, a hardened spot in the clay. You see, God can have the best of plans. But sometimes the, pl- the clay becomes marred. It develops a defect. And why is that? Well, we get a stubborn streak. You know, we get cold, hard, indifferent, callous, hostile to the plans of God. Then number three, he saw the potter make another vessel. And even though it was marred and it had defects, as long as we are pliable, God can reshape us. He can use us as long as we are useful. Jeremiah added this thought, which he had got from God. He said, then you will call upon me and come unto me and pray unto me. I will hear, I will listen, I will heed. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Jeremiah chapter 29, 12 and 13. And then number four, he recognized that there comes a time when it's too late for the vessel to be remade. And so he he said, I want you to go and take that vessel that's already baked and break it, break it in the sight of the people. There comes a time when the vessel cannot be made whole again. Jeremiah 19 and 11. We must be just as submissive to the heavenly potter as the earthen clay is to the earthly potter. And it's only then that we'll be a vessel made for the master's use. Only be what the potter had in mind. And when the heart becomes stony or hardened 
and no longer pliable, more like cement, thoroughly mixed and well set. Well, as mentioned in Ezekiel 11 and 19, it's to be abandoned, broken, and cast out. Moses summarized why God had brought Israel into the desert. And I think I'll hold that to a later time and share that with you. Because out of that, I want to share some other personal experiences that God had did, has done with me over 50 years to get me to examine my heart, to test my heart, to prove my heart, so that I might know what was in my heart. And that's hard to come to grips with. And I was going to share that with you tonight, but I think I'll just post, post, post uh, that. Create in me, O God, a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Um, let me get to my conclusion here then. For tonight anyway. I believe that God is bringing us to a place where we can't live any longer without a visitation. America is being torn apart by the seams. And God is exposing the darkness. There's no political solutions. There's no social solutions. And the church, if we're honest, is impotent. It's lost its power. We're at a crisis point in America. And at a crisis point in American history. And without a divine visitation, America as we know it could come to an end. It could become so marred that it can no longer be remade. The world that our kids and our grandkids grow up in will be very, very different. Paul said, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates. That contaminates what? Our body, our spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. 2 Corinthians 7 in verse 1. Well, would you agree the Bible has a lot to say about the heart? Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we worship You tonight in the beauty of Your holiness. And only You are holy. And yet You've called us to be holy, just like You. I realize that we cannot be holy and the only way that we can be holy is by following the leading of Your Holy Spirit that lives and abides in us. So show us how to pursue holiness like You've said in Your Word to do. Holy Spirit, You are the well from which we draw holiness. So help us to spend time with You every day for the fresh flow of Your Spirit in us that will enable us to live a holy life. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Okay. I don't know when I'll share that other part with you.